Well, it's a good morning, amen? God is up to something good. It's good to be in the house of the Lord, even when it's a, a junior high school, right? Like wherever we meet, where we are gathered, right? It's the house of the Lord. It's an incredible time, honestly, just to come and to worship together, to be renewed, and to celebrate and, and to be encouraged. And, and we love that here at Banner Church, like Barry said. And in this temporary phase, as we are moving to our new place over on uh, Main Street here in Mesa. And in fact, if you've not been there, we're, we're doing a prayer walk here next Saturday where we're going to meet at the building and we're going to walk down to Pioneer Park. I'm sure most of all of you who, all of us who live here know where Pioneer Park is. We're going to walk down to Pioneer Park and then kind of circle back, just praying, praying over our neighbor, our neighborhood and our neighbors, and just praying over the city that we love and over the East Valley. So uh, also, if you're just like, well, I haven't even seen the new building, that's a perfect chance. Just come check it out. Uh, come see it in its current state so you'll remember it when it's all built out. But we're in plan phase. People have asked me, hey, you know, where are we at? You know, are we, are we building? And I always encourage people, when you break ground, you're about halfway done. Right, because half of the work is plans, preparation, permitting, city, all that stuff. But I would say that we are beginning to accept bids from um, uh, from contractors, and we, we obviously we have a we have a project to lead over all things. So we're not looking for a GC. But if you are a contractor and you'd like to submit a bid, we'll be submitting bids even up through the end of the year uh, for different things. So if you're interested, you can contact me. You can email me at josh at banner church. And I can, um, I can receive that from you as well. And we're going to be rolling. We're really excited about all the things that, that God has been doing and just our really good friends here at Banner Church. In fact, I saw some people today I wanted to celebrate. I saw that Brian and Marissa were back, recently married. Awesome. And I saw that they, uh, I saw Gabe. I didn't know if I saw Melissa, but Gabe and Melissa are back. They're just serving in kids. So... When you see them, cheer for them, or maybe just hug them. Maybe cheering might be weird face-to-face. -face. It works better in a group, but uh, love on them, hug them. And also standing in the back like a classic musician is our wonderful worship pastor, Gillian, whose birthday it is. Everyone say, happy birthday, Gillian! Awesome. Man, so full this month of birthdays. We all knew, all know what your parents were doing near Christmas. They were making you. Holy cow, there's like 8 million September birthdays. Any more, who, anyone else in here born in September? September birthday, September, 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 September. Wow, Ever, you're, all your parents were from cold places and it was the holiday season and they had that work party, you know? <laughs> all right? <laughs> Be honest. What? You don't, you're not sure where you came from? <laughs> That's a different sermon series. I don't know, it's a new generation. They're confused. Uh... <laughs> But we're excited. We're starting a series, uh, not, not about that. We're starting a new series today on Saul called Anti-Hero. I labeled it that just for all the Taylor Swift fans in the world. I'm uh, just throwing it out for you like you need another reason. Uh, but we, uh, I, we really felt led, and I was feeling very led to just be in the Word of God. And there's a lot we want to look at in the life of David. But before we get to the life of David, I think one of the most important places that we begin examining is the life of Saul. It, we learn a lot from the life of Saul in, you know, individually, but also we learn a lot about what was happening in the history uh, of not only Israel, but around them, what was happening in the fulfillment of the covenant and the promise that God was seeking for his people. A lot of that is displayed in the life of King Saul in the book of 1 Samuel. So in fact, if you have your Bible, if you would open with me to the book of 1 Samuel, or if you have the Bible app, would you open to 1 Samuel. If you don't, normally we'd have the words on the screen, but I'm going to read a ton of scripture today. So I encourage you, if you don't have your Bible, that's totally okay. Just listen and receive from the Word of God today. But we're going to be talking about King Saul, and really a guy who should have been one of the greatest heroes in Israel's history, and for brief moments was an incredible hero in Israel's history. But even from the beginning, we begin to see these, these, these cracks in the foundation for Saul that points to something bigger as it pertains to obedience to God, as it pertains to following God and trusting in God. Because Saul, we're going to see in this series, does some incredible things with the power of the Lord, but also does some of the very foolish things because of insecurity. 
And so we're going to look at that together in this series, really diving into Scripture. How many of you just love the Word of God, right? Just love Scripture. It's good to be in the Word of God. And now every series we do is in the Word of God, but this is what we would call more expository. So rather than talking about, um, the, like in the series, Cultivate, we're like, what's the theology surrounding these ideas? Here we're, we're taking Scripture and we're really walking through it together and saying, what is God revealing to his people and therefore us as his people as well in the Word of God? I don't know how many of you were here when we did the series on the book of Joshua. How many of you were here for the book of Joshua series, right? We did a series walking through a, a decent amount of the book of Joshua. Not all of it, obviously, that, that's a little harder. But you have it, and you can do it. And if you don't have a copy of this, I'll get you one. Come see me after church, and I'll get you your own Bible. But we... Uh, we walked through the book of Joshua, and that was the whole story of Joshua and obviously the Lord, of course, leading the people of God, the people of Israel, into the promised land. And when they get to the promised land, God commands them, listen, you need to cast out all of the nations who are worshiping demons. Now, he doesn't necessarily say it in that way, but that is what was occurring. That the nations, the Canaanite nations, were heavily involved in demon worship. And I don't mean worship like, like we in the West worship, which is like they would go to demon worship once a week. I mean, it was a foundation of their entire existence. It was a foundation of the morality, the foundation of the laws, the foundation of how people were treated or uh, crucially mistreated, especially children. It was the foundation of all those things. And so when Israel goes into the promised land, God says, you need to get these people out of here or else what's going to happen is you're going to start acting like them, right? Your tribe becomes your vibe, right? But Israel did not do that. They gave up. They said it was too difficult. They liked some of the things that the demonic worship was involved with. And so the Canaanite people remained, and the idols and the, the, the worship of these demonic figures, these spiritual figures, continued, and eventually it became a very central feature of Hebrew life. And so the book of Judges, which is kind of between what, what we're reading here, though we're not, we're not doing that as a series currently, is a very fascinating book, but it is also a horrific account of the perversion that came from false worship. The, the book of Judges shows us how at the time when, when Joshua hands off leadership and the judges take over, these individual leaders would try to guide people back to God and try to guide people back to the Lord and try to remove the enemies that were in the land. Because what happened is two things. When the people of Israel did not remove those false nations, they eventually made war against them, right? And because they had prostituted themselves before false gods, the favor of God had been removed from them, right, in battle. And if you remember at all from Joshua, when the favor of God was not with them, they did not do well, right? They were not a warrior nation because they, like, developed a new kind of sword. They were only good at war because God was with them. That was their defining feature. So because the favor of God in many ways was, was, was removed from them, or a better way I would say is they chose to turn from him, they lost. And they lost to some very brutal invaders. One of those was a group called the Philistines. Somebody say Philistines. Now the Philistines are also historically called the Sea People. And, and there's a little bit of debate on where exactly they descended from in this transition period of what would be Baltic tribes and people come from the Aegean Sea. I mean, I guess you might say Greece, that area. There was a lot of transition of, of tribes coming through and small nations warring together. But what we know, not only from the word of God, but also from records in Egypt and, and other sources of the day, is that there was a group of people that were really good at navigating the sea, and they came into places like Israel and places like the Nile Delta and waged a brutal war against the people there. And so the people of, of Israel were basically semi-occupied by an invading force and had been brutalized under this invader. Are you still with me? 
So they came into the promised land, right? The land of milk and honey. But what we're going to pick up, there is no milk, there is no honey, there's barely any crops, right? We're picking up in a much more difficult place in 1 Samuel chapter 8. If you have your Bible, jump there with me. If you're ready, say amen. Wow, you're so fast. I'll give everyone one more second. Okay, now. There we go. Good. <laughs> I love it. Here's what it says. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. Remember I said that the leaders were judges. Right? Samuel was a judge. He was a, a prophet, or they call him later a seer, but he was a prophet. And he was the, the priestly leader, but also a judge, and he was guiding the people. But he had sons, and it says he made his sons judges over Israel. The first son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah, and they were judges in Beersheba. Yet, look at verse 3, his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain, so for money. They took bribes and they perverted justice. So then look what happens in verse 4. It says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together, and they came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old. That's kind of mean. But it says, And your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. Oh, and the Lord, sorry, <clears throat> and Samuel prayed to the Lord, and verse 7 says, The Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they've not rejected you, but they've rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they've done, from the day I brought them up out of Egypt even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, they're doing it to you. It says, So they are also doing to you. Verse 9, he says, So now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Israel, the leaders of Israel go to Samuel. They say, listen, you're getting up there in years, and your sons are no good at being leaders. They take bribes. They pervert justice. And listen, we're looking around, and we're seeing what's happening in our nation, and we don't like it. And so we want you to give us a king just like all the other nations who have been kicking our butt in battle. Right? Basically, like, make us like the people who keep beating us. That must be the key. That must be the key to why we're not winning is that we don't have a guy with the title of king. Which is kind of a wild thought when you think about it, right? Because Israel, in its history, won some of its greatest battles as basically a bunch of sheep herders wandering the desert with a pillar of fire. Like, I, again, I don't know if I had to choose, but if I was going up to battle and I saw some guy who was king and a literal pillar of fire, that would be more intimidating to me. But a defining feature of Israel, like I said, just like all God's people, is the presence of God. And what they're saying to him, right, you must follow this, is God's presence is not enough for us. We want what everybody else has because that's the key to success. And God says, they, they haven't rejected you, Samuel. Don't be upset. They've rejected me. Because rather than turning to God and repenting of their idolatry, rather than turning to God and repenting of their perversion, right, they've said, God, why have you done this to us? We need you to make us more like the nations who are perverted. Are you following this logic? Right? Rather than saying, God, we turn from the ways of these other nations, we turn from their idols. It's the reason your favor isn't on us, because we prostituted ourselves in front of tribes that are literally killing children, right? And burning them and throwing them on the altars of fire. Rather than saying, you know what, we should stop, do that, and turn to God, who split a sea in half and crushed the mightiest empire in the world. They said, you know what we need? We need a guy in charge. Pick one of us to be in charge. And the Lord is like, yeah, that tracks for you guys. That's, that tracks for you. And so he says, but you let him know. Here's what he says, verse 8. Or sorry, verse 10. 1 Samuel 8, verse 10. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said this. He, he says, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. Like, you guys don't know what it's like to actually have a king. Let me tell you about this. He said, he'll take your sons 
and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. He'll appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers at least. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He'll take a tenth of your grain and your vineyards and give it to his officers, to his servants. He'll take your male servants, your female servants, and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He'll take a t a, the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day, you'll cry out because of your king whom you've chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Okay, in scripture, there's a principle of the tenth and the first fruit. Here's what he's saying. You know all that that was set apart for God because he was your Lord and king and he made you prosper and you were supposed to be bringing the tenth in, the tithe into the storehouse. Guess who's taking that now and more? It's like if you thought following a perfect king was hard, this next part is gonna stink for you guys. That's what he's saying. He says, this is going to be brutal. And so, of course, they said, well, never mind. We don't want that. We'll just choose to follow God and obey his law, right? And then they lived happily ever after in Israel, and it was the most prompt. No, this is what they said, verse 19. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, exclamation mark, there shall be a king over us that we may also be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. Like, go back home and get yourself ready because we're doing this. And this sets up our hero, or I guess anti-hero in many ways, of Saul. And so I encourage you, we're going to read right now about Saul. And as we read about Saul, I want you to look for a pattern in his life. Because there's a very clear pattern in his life. It's a human pattern. And uh, I think as you begin to pick it up, you'll identify with it. But I want us to read through Scripture and look at Saul. Are you ready? Okay. 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. We're going to pull out some attributes of Saul. It says, There was a man, a Benjamin, whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becherath, the son of you guys seeing a pattern yet? No, of course not. <laughs> so those were all a bunch of weird names I pronounced wrong. A Benjamite, a man of wealth. Someone say wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome, someone say handsome, young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. For his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Someone say tall. Okay, so here's Saul. He's what? He's wealthy. He's handsome. And he's what? Slow down, ladies. You're like, how tall? 6'4", six, 6'5"? Six, six, what are we talking? <laughs> Historically, I don't know. What was tall? 5'8 might have been tall then. I don't know. I don't know what the standard was. Nine feet for Goliath was tall, but I don't know. Who knows? Maybe he was two people. We don't know. So he was handsome. He was wealthy. He was tall. Let's keep going. It says, now the donkeys of Kish, good band name, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to Saul, his son, take one of the young men with you and arise and go look for the donkeys. And he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and passed through the land of uh, Shalisha, but they did not find them. And they passed through the land of Shalim, but they were not there. Then they passed through the land of Benjamin, but they did not find them. And then, so, so pause here. I'll, I'll pause here for a second. So we know that Saul, it says his father was wealthy, that he, um, that he was handsome, and he was tall. And then we get an expansion on this wealth because it says that he not only had donkeys and, and herds, but he had servants. Mine says take a young man, but the word there that he's talking about the young man is one of the young servants. So they had servants. So he was wealthy and he was powerful. So not only was Saul handsome and tall, he was wealthy. He had social status. And he had power, right? This is looking good for him, right? If you're forming a king, right, this guy looks pretty sharp, right? He's political. He knows what's up. He's from a good family, right? He can drum up some support, get those super PACs going, right? Three of you know what that is. That's scary. Uh, <laughs> that's all right. Uh, but he can, he can 
uh, connect. He's, he's good looking. So he's got a lot of these physical features, but then it continues. Can we keep going? Is that okay? Okay. Verse 5 says, When they came to the land of Ziph, Saul said to his servant who was with them, Come, let's go back. Lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and start to be anxious about us. But he said to him, his servant said to Saul, Behold, there's a man of God in this city, and he's a man who's held in honor. All that he says comes true. So let's go there. Maybe he can tell us the way we should go. So Saul said to his servant, But if we go, what can we bring the man? For the bread in our sacks is gone, and there's no present to bring the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered Saul again, Here, I have with me a quarter of a shekel of silver, and I'll give it to the man of God to tell us our way. So Saul's wealthy, but for some reason his servant's got to foot the bill for dinner. It says, because formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he said, come, let us go to the seer, for today's prophet was formerly called a seer. Saul said to his servant, well, well said, come, let's go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. And as they went up the hill to the city, they met young women coming out to draw water and said to them, is the seer here? And the young women answered, he is. Behold, he's just ahead of you. Hurry, he's come out of the city because the people have a sacrifice today on the high place. As soon as you enter the city, you're going to find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he comes, since he must bless the sacrifice. And afterward, those who are invited will eat. So now go up, for you'll meet him immediately. So they went up to the city, and as they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming toward them on his way up to the high place. And look, look at verse 15. If you, if you got lost, jump right in here, verse 15 with me. Uh, it says, Now the day before Saul came, the Lord revealed to Samuel, and he said to him, Tomorrow about this time, I'll send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people of Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have, <clears throat> for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. We'll, we'll pause there. Actually, let's read 17. Sorry. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, here is the man whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. Okay, so he's handsome. He's tall, he's wealthy, and now he's called. He's handsome, he's tall, he's wealthy, and it says right here, the Lord has called him. He said he's put his anointing upon him. He said, this is the guy. God himself has told the prophet, this guy. That's very confirming, right? That'd be convenient. That guy right there. Some of you are like, oh, I need that. Like, who should I marry? Them, all right? <laughs> the voice of God is like right there or not them right you're like either way right just very confirming it was God says listen that is the guy I have called Saul to be the king for Israel so he's handsome he's tall he's wealthy and he's called everyone's still with me amen okay let, let's go then to verse 18 I know we're going through a lot but I just the word of God does better than I could do with this he says then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said tell me where is the house of the seer Samuel answered Saul, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for today you shall eat with me, and in the morning I will let you go, and I will tell you all that's on your mind. He says, as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, don't worry about them, for they have been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? That's kind of an interesting phrase. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for your father's house? It's a unique phrase, but here's what he's saying. He's saying, the favor of God is on you and your family. Or here's a random encounter. Saul's looking for donkeys, remember? He's worried his dad's going to be mad that he, that he, you know, lost something important. And he's worried about it. He goes out, and as he's looking for the donkeys, he encounters Samuel. And Samuel has heard that Saul has been called. And so when he meets him, he says something very peculiar to Saul. He says, listen, the favor of God is on you and on your family. And Saul's response in verse 21 is this. He says, am I not a Benjamite from the least of tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why have you then spoken to me in this way? What a wild response. The man of God says, listen, you are favored by the Lord. 
And Saul hits him with the, do you know who I am? Right? But like in a negative way. Of like, I, I'm not important. I'm nobody. I'm from the least tribe and the least family and the least place. This is because Saul did not understand a kingdom principle that the least in the kingdom is still the greatest, right? He saw himself very much with earthly vision. Here's my family. Here's my place. Even though he was tall, wealthy, handsome, right? All this, he still saw himself in a very diminished capacity. He said, ah, that can't be me. Surely you're not talking about me. Surely... Like, you don't mean me. I mean, I don't come from the right family. I don't have the right experience. How could that be that my family is favored? And something you're going to begin to see in the life of Saul is excuses. Somebody say excuses. How many of you love excuses? No, exactly. They're the worst, right? We don't love excuses. We make a lot of them. But Saul begins to say, I don't, I don't know, maybe not. And so... They spend time together. What happens is that Samuel begins to speak to him, and in the morning, they're walking out of the city to send Saul and his servant back, and Samuel says, hey, servant, you go on ahead for a second. I have something. I have a secret. I need to tell Saul something right now, and so in Chapter 10, verse 1, here's what it says. It says, Then Samuel, chapter 10, verse 1, took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him. This is Samuel to Saul. He's anointing him, right? He's saying, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? He says, and you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And he says, this will be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over this heritage. He says, when you depart from me, you're going to meet two men by Rachel's tomb, and they'll say to you, the donkeys that you went to seek are found, and now your father has stopped worrying about donkeys and is anxious about you, saying, what shall I do about my son? He says, then you're going to go on from there farther and come to the oak of Tabor. And then three men are going up to God at Bethel, will meet you, one carrying three young goats. This is very specific, right? This is a prophecy right here, is specific. This is none of that like, any, I just, you're having a hard day, and you're like, wow, how did you know, right? <laughs> this is real, right? He's like, he says, three men going up will meet you. One's carrying some goats. Another's carrying three loaves of bread. Another is carrying a skin of wine. Very, very specific. He said, and they'll greet you, and they'll give you two loaves of bread, which you'll accept, even more specific. And after that, you'll come up uh, to Gebetha Elohim, where there's a garrison of Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you'll meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a harp and a tambourine and a flute and a lyre, prophesying. So then the Spirit of the Lord is going to rush on you, and you're going to prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now, when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. He's hoping he's going to be inspired to do something. It says, then go down before me to go gone. Behold, I'm coming down to offer burnt sacrifices and peace offerings. Samuel says, listen, you're the guy. I'm putting my anointing, and I'm putting a very specific prophecy upon your life. He says, listen, it's not just that you're, in the, in the world's eyes, handsome and tall and wealthy. It's that you're called, it's that you're favored, and it's that you're anointed to be king. Right? Saul is called, Saul is favored, and Saul is anointed. He is chosen by God. It doesn't matter that he's from the least tribe. It doesn't matter that he's from the least family. He is called, right? He is favored, and he is anointed to be the first king. And Samuel promises something to him. He says, it's not just these qualifications, but I'm going to confirm it with this very specific prophecy about goats and bread. Are you still with me? Right? If someone says, like, you're going to see somebody with three goats, and they have three loaves of bread, and they're going to give you two loaves of bread, you're like, well, we'll see about that. Right? That is really specific. But that's what happens. When Saul goes out, it says in verse 9, when he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. You see that? If you have your, if you have your Bible, look at that. He turned his back to leave Samuel. It says, God gave him another heart. It says, and all these signs came to pass that day. It says, when they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him. And the Spirit of God, look at this, the Spirit of God rushed upon him, 
and he prophesied among them. And you'd say, well, maybe he was just a really spiritual guy. Well, Scripture kind of gives us the idea that this was uncommon for him. Because it says in verse 11, when all who knew him, meaning Saul previously, before this, saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, what has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? Rather saying, this is weird for him. This is unusual for him. And a man of the place answered, and who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, is Saul also among the prophets? Meaning it became a thing when you did something that was unusual from what you normally did. He became like an inside joke, right? Like you would say, like someone do something weird. They're like, I think I'm going to take up juggling. They'd be like, really? Is Saul among the prophets? It became a thing. That's what they're saying here. It became like a colloquialism, which is hard to translate, but colloquialism for something unusual happening. And so he goes to the, he goes to the high place. I think that's pretty amazing that the Spirit of God changed him. See, what moved him into the prophetic, what moved him into operating in a different way was not his wealth, was not his looks, was not his talent, and it wasn't even the words of affirmation from Samuel. It wasn't even that he felt called, anointed. It was the Spirit of God, it says, rushed upon him, and he began to prophesy. Where he was once full of excuses because of the Spirit of God, he was now full of the Spirit, and he began to prophesy. See, what Saul right then should have noticed is that it was not his qualifications that made him king. It was God. That God created him, that God favored him, that God favored his family, that God called him, that God anointed him. But it was when the Spirit of God moved upon him that he was able to do great things in the kingdom. And so you'd think Saul would go home and he'd be like, guys, listen. This is amazing. But here's where the pattern turns. Stay with me here. Here's where the pattern turns. He says in verse 14, Saul's uncle said to him and his servant, where did you go? And Saul said, to seek the donkeys. When we saw they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle, knowing who Samuel is, says, please tell me what he said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. And it says this in scripture, but the matter of the kingdom but about the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, Saul did not tell his uncle anything. He did not tell his uncle about the anointing that was put upon his life, about the calling that was given to him. He didn't tell him about any of that. He didn't even tell him about the prophecy. He only spoke about the donkeys. I'm going to tell you right now, if I go to the QT later and get elected president, I'm letting all of you know immediately, right? If I go out for snacks and end up the ruler of the free world, you guys will be the first to know. And if you asked me and said, hey, what happened when you went out to McDonald's? And I said, oh, I, yeah, I found my credit card. You're like, oh, that's cool. You found your credit card. That's awesome. And then later you found out, bro, you got elected president? You'd probably be furious, right? So what is he doing here? This is the struggle of Saul. You ready? The struggle of Saul is hiding from the call. That he is not confident in the call of God in his life. And I know people say, well, Saul's so humble. It doesn't feel like humility to me. It feels like hiding. And this is a constant cycle in Saul's life. When he's full of the spirit, he does great things for the kingdom. When he's full of himself, he hides. Now we say it's insecurity, but it's pride masked because those excuses start creeping back in. How can this be? Who am I to do it? God must have got it wrong. I must have heard God wrong. I don't have what it takes. I don't know if anyone's ever been there, but that isn't the spirit talking. That's the flesh. And so here's what happens. Chapter 10 in verse 17. So Samuel calls the people together at Mizpah. It says, the Lord of Israel, it says, I brought you out of Egypt. I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and all the kingdoms who were oppressing you. But you've rejected your God who saves you from your calamities and your distress. And you've said to him, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by tribes and by your thousands. Verse 20 says, Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. And he brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans, and the clan of the Metrites was taken by Lot. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord, is there a man still to come? Like, is he late, running late? And the Lord, the, Lord, the Lord God tells them, 
He's hiding himself among the baggage. Now, I don't have this in my sermon about hiding in baggage. We're not that, and I'm not trying to extrapolate that, so you can take that. But he means literally like he was hiding in the bag. Some of us hide in our baggage, right, the things that we carry around with us. But he's literally hiding like in the supply tent away from everybody else. It says they ran and they took him from there. It says, and when he stood among people, he was taller than all the people from his shoulders upward. Samuel said to the people, do you see him who the Lord has chosen? There's none like him among the people. And all the people shouted, long live the king. <laughs> Imagine, yeah, they're coercing this guy into being their leader, right? Here's this dude who's handsome, who's wealthy, who's successful, who's powerful, right? Who's called, who's anointed by God. But when the time comes, where is he? He's hiding from the calling, Right? When they elect him, they have to go physically get him and bring him out. Think about that. He already knew that this was going to happen because he had already been anointed. He had already operated the spirit. It's not like he was like, wait, what, me? Like he had like over a week to think about this. He had had a spiritual experience, but when it came time to do what God had called him to do, he hid. His heart was not right with the Lord. It wasn't prepared, and he hid, like Adam hiding in the garden, or the unwise servant who hid the talent from the master, saying, I believed you to be harsh, so I hid what you gave me. I hid myself from you in the garden. Here's a man who's tall, who's handsome, who's wealthy, who's called, who's anointed, who's favored, who's elected, but he has still hidden himself from what God has commanded him to do. See, this is why I love reading about Saul, because his excuses take away ours. See, we make excuses on the negative end, but sometimes we make excuses and say, listen, there's a physical reason. I think many people say there's a physical reason why I can't press into the calling of God. I can't be a full disciple. There's a reason I can't just obey God right now. There's a reason I can't pursue him fully. Listen, if I was only a little taller, you think that's funny, but people have said that to me. If I was only that body shape, if I, was, if I only had better eyesight, if I only had money in the bank, if I only had that family status or that family background, then, then my life could have purpose. Then I could pursue God fully. If I only had that physical, financial, or relational status, then I could do something for the kingdom. Then God could use me for something great. If I was only blank, then something could happen. But here's the reality is that Saul had all those things and was still insecure. He still, it still wasn't enough. He was tall. He was good looking. He was the handsomest guy. He still wasn't secure. He was wealthy, still not secure. He had a great family. He was still not secure. He had been told great things, still not secure. The physical prowess, the social order, the financial status, they did not take away this thing within him that hid from the calling of God on his life. He did not dwell on the reality that the authority and that the anointing on his life came from the Lord, just like you and I. And what made the difference in Saul's life when he wasn't hiding, what took him from hiding to hero was the Holy Spirit. See, it's not that Saul all of a sudden became more confident or grew three more inches and it was like, well, that was the difference. He was 6'4", now he's 6'7", and then he found himself, right? <laughs> right? He found the right group of friends, and then it really worked out for him. Like, this is not a Hallmark movie. This is real life. What made the difference? What, why is he not just the bad guy? Why is he a hero in so much of Scripture? Because the Holy Spirit would fall upon Saul, and he was empowered to live out what God called him to do. And we see that in 1 Samuel 11. I'm reading you this last piece of scripture, then we're done. 1 Samuel 11, it says this. In fact, I'm going to read you some pretext here. From, we know from the Masoretic text in the Dead Sea Scrolls, so there's a little portion right before here, so I'm going to read it to you. It says, Now Nahash, king of the Ammonites, oppressed the Gadites and Reubenites severely. He says, They gouged out all their right eyes and struck terror and dread in Israel. Not a man remained among the Israelites beyond the Jordan whose right eye was not gouged out by Nahash, king of the Ammonites, except that 7,000 men who fled from the Ammonites and went to Jabesh Gilead. Pretty rough, right? 
you're just like thankful to live in this country, right? You're like, yes, <laughs> thank you. But here's what it says. It says, so then a month later, Nahash the Ammonite went up to besiege Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, great names, make a treaty with us and we'll serve you. But Nahash the Ammonite said to them, on this condition, I'll make a treaty with you that I gouge out all your right eyes and bring disgrace on Israel. It says, the elders of Jabesh said to him, give us seven days that we may send messengers throughout the territory of Israel. Then if there's no one to save us, we'll give ourselves up to you. Which is a crazy thing to ask, right? Let us get back up. Imagine thinking so less of your opponent. You're like, sure, man, you can call whoever you want. We're still gonna stomp you. That's how low Israel was right now. It says, when the messengers came to Gebeah of Saul, they reported the matter in the ears of the people, and all the people wept. It says, behold, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen. And, and Saul said, what's wrong with the people that they're weeping? So they told him the news of men of Jabesh. And the spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words and his anger was kindled. And he took a yoke of oxen and he cut it into pieces and he sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hands of messengers saying, which is pretty B.A., whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. Basically like, get out here. It says, then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out as one man. When he mustered them at Bezek, the people of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah 30,000. It says, and they said to the messengers who's come, thus shall you say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, tomorrow by the time the sun is hot, you shall have salvation. When the messengers came and told the men of Jabesh, they were glad. Therefore, the men of Jabesh said, tomorrow we'll give ourselves up to you, and you may do whatever you want. But it says the next day, Saul put the people in three companies and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning uh, and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And those who survived were scattered so that no two men were left together. It says then Saul is taken and he's confirmed as the king. Let me ask you some questions. Why was Saul still in the field? And what's changed Saul's heart? right? Because as a month of this has been occurring, what changed? It said the Spirit of God came upon him. See, when Saul was full of himself, he hid. He literally, like he literally physically hid in baggage. He hid in excuses. He hid from leadership. But when he was full of the Spirit, you also got to give him credit. Man, he really stepped into his calling. I mean, they smoked these dudes. Imagine hundreds of thousands of people rushing in in the middle of the night and just wiping these dudes off the mat. That's awesome. That's incredible. But what changed? because he was full of the Spirit. See, I wonder how many of us, church, are hiding. You're anointed, you're called, you're favored, you're even filled with the Spirit, but you're hiding. Maybe hiding from living out obedience to God. Maybe hiding from the calling in your life. What's that calling? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul your mind with all your strength, to love others the same, to go into all the earth and bring the gospel. Maybe you're hiding from your anointing. Maybe God's given you gifts or talents, but you're afraid. You're unsure. And one of those moments when you're there with the Spirit, you're like, yes, God, I know this is right. I know that you've called me, but there's the other moments you tend to fade away. And you know where they find you hiding is in your baggage. You say, yeah, but God, I got this stuff. I, I'm not from the best family. I'm not, if someone really did a deep dive on my past, they probably wouldn't want me sharing the gospel with them. If someone really knew the things that I've gone through, maybe they, they wouldn't want me to be the champion of the faith to step out in boldness. I can't do that. But I really believe so many believers are hiding today in baggage, that God has placed you in places and in opportunities, that he's given you gifts and he's given you talents and he says you're called, you're anointed, that you're favored, but we hide, we even hide in here. 
We hide in our attendance record. Christians all around this nation are hiding from their cities. They're hiding from their neighbors. They're hiding from their coworkers. They're hiding from their friends. They're hiding from their families. They're hiding from the refugee. They're hiding from the person that doesn't speak the same language as them. They're hiding from the somebody of, the, of a separate social status. They're hiding from the lost and the hurting. And we're hiding behind excuses. We might not even realize it, but we say all the time, yes, Lord, I know that you've called me, but I, I can't because of this reason. Because I'm no one of influence. Yes, Lord, I live in this apartment. I live on this block. I live on this street. But I don't really want to share with any, anything with my neighbors because what if I make it weird? Or what if I do something wrong? Or what if I blow it? So I'm just going to pull my car into my garage and shut my door and call posting on Instagram enough. Lord, I'm not rich enough. Lord, I'm not strong enough. Lord, I'm not leadership material enough. Lord, I'm not married. Or Lord, I am married, but I don't have kids. Or Lord, I'm married and I have kids, and now I don't have time for the thing I was supposed to do when I wasn't married yet. Church, and band, you can come up. Can I encourage you? Stop hiding. Stop saying it can't be me. Lord, I can't do it. Listen, you're called. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're called, you're anointed, and by that nature, you're qualified for great things wherever God calls you. And I'm not saying great things like everyone in here needs to start the greatest nonprofit known to man. I just mean in your block, God has placed you to preach the good news. In your job, he's given you position to share the hope of Jesus Christ. There is someone near you hurting that you could wrap your arms around if you stopped hiding. He's already prepared you. Did you know that, church? He's already prepared you. He's already given you everything you need. He's already given an anointing over your life. He's already given you the Holy Spirit. He said to you as one of his disciples in Matthew 28, yes, he says it to the disciples, but we are disciples of God, amen? He says in chapter, chapter 28 of Matthew, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. He says, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Did you catch that? Jesus says, all authority is mine and I'm sending you with my authority. The authority to what? The authority to cast out demons. The authority to heal the sick. The authority to raise the dead the authority to see lives changed. He's given it to you. He's given it to me. And if we see anything from Saul's life, it should be to grieve a man who was full of the Spirit, yet constantly fell short because of doubt and insecurity. That objectively, he had everything he could ever need to do something great. Not because he was tall, not because he was wealthy, not because he was good looking, though those probably didn't hurt but because he was called, because he was anointed, and because the Holy Spirit was upon him. See, that should stir something in us, that we should want to run to the altar or run out to just shout at the heavens and say, not me, not my life. Nobody's going to look back on my life like we look on Saul and say, you had it. You had the Spirit, but you hid. My kids are not going to look at my life and say, wow, and he talked a lot about revival, but when it came to the messy work of it, he hid from it. When it came to obedience of God, when it came to truly living by the word of God, he hid from it. I refuse to allow that to happen in my life because God's too good and the kingdom is too great and the church is hiding and I feel like the Lord is just saying, man, stop hiding. Sometimes we even hide behind systems. We're like, well, I need an event to do what God's called me. No, you don't, you have a neighbor. I spend every day downtown. Trust me, you have opportunity. And I believe that God's put it on your heart. Man, right in your relationship with your spouse, you have opportunity just to love them like Jesus loves them and say, I'm not gonna miss out on what God has for me because I've hidden myself in the baggage. Church, would you stand with me this morning? Would you just bow your head and close your eyes? In a second, I'm gonna invite our prayer team up. 
And they're gonna be up here and they're gonna pray for you as the worship band leads us in this song again. And I wanna pray specifically, and I'm gonna invite them to, again, whatever you wanna pray for, they wanna pray for you. But I just specifically feel like there's a sense of hiding. Maybe you feel like been unqualified, unwanted. Yeah, you guys can come up right now. You can line up in the front prayer team, perfect. Whatever it is, and you're just saying, you know what, I'm done hiding behind that, these things that have held me down. Maybe it's even words that someone's spoken over you. There's just an intimacy with God. There's movement of His Spirit that I believe is happening here. And so when we worship, I'm going to release you into that posture of prayer to just come forward. And I really, really encourage you to not feel stuck in your seat. The enemy loves to stick us down in that seat. But to just be released. Say, I'm done hiding. I... I have some things in my life that I've been to qualify the work of God and say, God, I, I can't do that. I don't have this. And I just need that released off my shoulders. I need that heaviness off of me. I need that fear off of me and just the love of God upon my heart by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pray for you this morning. Two things. First, if you're here and you've never encountered the love of Jesus Christ, but you would say today, today in this place, I need you, Jesus. I know this was a unique message, but if you do not know the love of Jesus Christ, you've never experienced the hope and healing of a new life in him i'm here to tell you that jesus has come that you might have life and have it to the fullest if you would say to him i confess my sins before you and i receive you as my lord and savior if that's you today with every eye closed and head bound head bowed because this is the decision between you and the lord if that's you and you would say jesus i give you my life today as my lord and savior would you just lift your hand real high and put it back down jesus i give you my life as my lord and savior thank you Thank you. I'm going to pray over you right now in the name of Jesus. And though you've had to make this decision, this decision standing by yourself, I want to encourage you, this is not something that you live by yourself, but you walk it out with community. So after this service, if you're one of those people who raised your hand, please, please, please come see me by the next step table. I'd love to meet you, and I'd love to help you take that next step today in faith. Okay, here we are, church. Eyes closed, head bowed. Dear Jesus, we give you our hearts today. We confess our sins before you. We lay them at your feet. If you're one of those people who raise your hand, just agree with me. I lay them at your feet. My old has gone, the new has come. In Jesus' name, I confess you as my Lord and Savior that you defeated death, hell, and the grave and rose again into freedom. And I receive it in Jesus' name. Can we celebrate this morning? Okay, now, for those of you, you've already received that hope of Jesus, but you've been hiding. And you would say today, I'm done hiding. I'm just ready to step in. I'm done hiding in the baggage and the excuses and the reasons. I'm just, I'm ready to be free and to come. And in fact, I just, I want to be prayed for this morning. Would you just lift your hands? I want to pray for you today. Just like, God, I'm done hiding in the excuses today. Let me pray for you. And then I'm going to release you. If you're one of those people to come forward and receive prayer. Dear Jesus, I thank you this morning that where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. There's freedom from the baggage that's held us. There's joy in the house right now. Where there's fear, it's being replaced by joy. And I pray right now over these lives to say, God, I've done hiding in the excuses. I pray right now where there has been hurtful words that there would be affirmation by the Holy Spirit replacing it right now where there is fear where there is anxiety I pray a peace of the mighty God upon them and I release you right now in the name of Jesus to be free of all excuses to be full of the Spirit and to step into everything that he's called you to in Jesus name in Jesus name I just invite you if you need prayer come forward right now if you're one of those people come forward let's intercede together Thank you for listening to the Banner Church Podcast. We hope this message was impactful for you. Check the episode notes to visit our website, follow us on social media, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you again next week.